the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. the humility and just kind of the simplicity of this little child to illustrate, listen, this is how you need to become spiritual. And then he speaks in this paradox here when he talks about, for he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. And there are different times that Jesus throughout the gospel speaks in paradoxical terms. If you want to be great, you have to be least. If you want to receive, you have to give. Living for Jesus is full of contradiction to what the world says is right. The world tells you to be great. Jesus says to humble yourself. The world says do what makes you happy. Jesus says to serve someone else, even if it costs you. Laying your life down isn't easy, but Jesus promises a much greater reward when you're with Him for eternity in heaven. Today, as you listen to Pastor Gary's message, Let Jesus' love for others inspire you to the same, and let it change how you view the world around you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's go to Luke 9. That's where we are tonight. Luke 9. We left off really about in the middle. It's a long chapter, 62 verses. So we left off right around verse 37. You'll notice with me as we look at the rest of chapter 9 and maybe into some of chapter 10, uh, time permitting tonight, that the end of chapter 9 is really a time of, well, it's a little embarrassing for the disciples. Let me just put it to you that way. You're going to see here a few stories that accentuate their ignorance and their arrogance their ignorance, and their arrogance. For example, let me just highlight, we'll come back and read through this, but we come now to a story here where the disciples, they don't know how to cast out a demon, and they try, and embarrassingly, they can't do anything about it, and Jesus is going to rebuke them for it, and then that'll be followed by Jesus telling them in advance again, after numerous times, that he's going to be crucified, and he's going to die, and he's going to rise again, and it says that they didn't understand what he was saying, and that they were too afraid to ask, So that doesn't look well. And then they go on the road further and they start to argue between themselves who is the greatest guy among them, all right? So that doesn't bode well for them either. Then they're going to see a guy driving out demons who's not part of their group. 
and they're going to be mad that this guy's doing something that is right because he's not one of them. So that's not going to look well. And then as we read further, they're going to pass through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem, and the Samaritans aren't going to give them lodging. And so this bunch, the 12, these are the apostles, apostles. There are no B-apostles here, okay? This is the A-team, and they're going to say to Jesus, these Samaritans won't let us camp here overnight. How about we rain down fire from heaven and smoke them? That's the bunch, okay? Now, you know, look, I don't want to throw them under the bus. The truth is, I'd probably be just like they are. So I don't want to be, you know, disparaging them because one day I'm going to see them and I'm going to have to apologize. So just so you know, going into it, I see myself in this story, all of these stories. I'd probably be just like they are. But here they are. They're going to show a little of their ignorance and their arrogance. And we come to this scene here, starting in verse 37, where uh, Jesus, with Peter, James, and John have been up on a mountain. We think it's Mount Hermon. We don't know for sure. Tradition says it's Mount Tabor, but probably where they were in Caesarea Philippi. They go up the mount, and Jesus is transfigured before them. And Peter, James, and John, they see this, the glorification of Jesus, just this momentary, incredible brightness and the glory of Christ revealed. And standing with Jesus is Elijah and Moses, a representation, Moses of the law, Elijah of the prophets, They are the sum total of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. They're standing there with Jesus. Peter sees this with James and John. But Peter says, we ought to make three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Luke adds in parentheses, he didn't know why he said this. But the truth is, he wanted to preserve this mountaintop experience. And all of us can relate to that. You've been on a mountaintop experience with the Lord, and you want to do what you can to preserve it. But the fact is that in this lifetime, there will be peaks and there will be valleys. And life is not always about the mountaintop experiences. The reality is still we live in the valleys from time to time. And they're going to climb down off the mountain and they're going to go into the valley and they're going to see this scene. Now, this scene is with the rest of the apostles who were left. Only Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus. So we have nine others down in the valley And the story now resumes with Jesus and the three going back down to meet the other nine apostles. And here's this scene. There's a dad here with a son who is possessed by a demon. So pick it up there in verse 37. It says, The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit healed the boy, and gave him back to his father, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Okay, let's pause there, your attention. So here's the scene. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they're coming down off the mountain after this glorious scene of the transfiguration of Jesus. They meet up with the other nine, and there's this father in the crowd that has this demon-possessed son. Now, obviously, this is a very serious thing. Uh, This boy is possessed. We don't know his age. 
but he's possessed by a demon. The demon wants to do nothing more than do as Satan does, steal, kill, and destroy. So he is trying to kill this boy. He's trying to destroy his life. This is the only child the dad has. So he's crying out to Jesus for help. And he says to Jesus in the course of this conversation, I asked your disciples here if they could do something. While Jesus was up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, the other nine are down here. And the dad says, I asked your other disciples here to cast the demon out, but they couldn't do it. They, they didn't do it. So you know the nine are standing there really embarrassed right now. Like, we, you know, we tried. We couldn't do anything. And I just, in my silly mind, start to think, what did they try? What did they try? You know, what should we do here? You know, I can just picture them talking again like this. The dad wants us to drive the demons out. What should we try? I saw Jesus spit once. Maybe they tried that. Well, so I saw him throw mud one time and mixed it up and blind men. And so I just had this vision, like they're spitting on the guy. They're lathering down with mud. You know, they're trying a bunch of stuff, probably just trying to do what Jesus did. And they couldn't do anything. You know, we tried it. We couldn't do anything. And Jesus comes along and he goes, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And he casts the demon out and he heals him the boy, and gave him back to his father, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But this is, this is a little embarrassing here for the disciples, because they either lacked faith or whatever. You know, it's interesting, because just earlier, back in the early part of chapter 9, Jesus has sent out his 12, and he had given them exousia, authority, and dunamis power to heal the sick, to preach the gospel, to drive out demons, and so they have experienced being used as vessels of God, but for whatever reason here, they just don't come through. And Jesus, for that reason here, gives this rebuke. And then he heals the boy, hands him back to his father, and everybody is amazed at the greatness of God. Well, on we read. He says, while everyone was marveling at all this that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, verse 44, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. This isn't, again, this isn't the first time that Jesus had told them. Uh, If you look backwards here in chapter 9, look at verse uh, 22. It says, And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief, by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus is telling them in advance that he's going to be crucified and he's going to die and he's going to be raised to life. And he's repeating it somewhat here where he says to them, again there in verse 44, that The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. So the fact that it was kept hidden from them is not not something that God did, but it was hidden from them because of their own ignorance, and yet they were afraid to ask. So they, they acted so proud that they didn't even want to ask what Jesus meant by this. So we see again, it's just some of their ignorance here. Well, verse 46, it gets worse. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts which tells us that they weren't having this conversation openly around him because he knew their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. 
And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. So here they are. I mean, just <laughs> this is just so incredibly just a revelation now of their arrogance, okay? They're moving from ignorance to arrogance, how they're all trying to fight among themselves as to which one is the greatest, I mean, you know, everybody's thought that probably at some point in their life, okay, that you're a little better than somebody else. Shouldn't think it, but I'm just saying, let's be real. Show of hands. Come on, how many people have ever? (laughs) Anyway, I was just trying to bait you. But here's the thing. They're thinking this, and they're saying it. They're arguing among themselves. I think I'm greater than you. No, I think I'm greater than you. Are you kidding? I'm greater than you are. And this whole thing is happening. Jesus knows their thoughts. And what does he do? He does a little visual illustration, and he brings a little child. And has this little child stand among them. And he uses the humility and just kind of the simplicity of this little child to illustrate, listen, this is how you need to become spiritually. And he, then he speaks in this paradox here when he talks about, for he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. And there are different times that Jesus, throughout the gospel, speaks in paradoxical terms. If you want to be great, you have to be least. If you want to receive, you have to give. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want to be strong, you have to become weak. And all through the Bible, we get these messages that are paradoxes, where it sounds so different to our ears because we think that greatness comes in self-promotion, you know, stepping over whoever you need to to become noted and noticed and all of this kind of stuff. And Jesus comes along and he turns it upside down. He says, no, if you really want to become great, become least, become humble, become a servant. And through servanthood and humility, then God in his timing will exalt you. If you really want to find life, you're going to have to die to self. You're going to have to die daily to self and take up your cross and follow me. If you really want to receive, you're going to have to learn to be generous because only through generosity will you really receive and open up the floodgates of heaven. And he speaks in these terms. Paul talked about the thorn in his flesh, and he said, I prayed for it to be taken away from me. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, my power is sufficient for you, for in your weakness is my power made perfect. And there's something about strength that comes through weakness and acknowledging our need before the Father. And so there's always this upside-down way of viewing life that Jesus teaches us. So much of the world views it very, very differently. And Jesus is trying to teach his own disciples and his own apostles here. You want to be followers of mine? You really want to be great? Then you're going to have to become least. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to strip yourself of all that selfishness and pride and arrogance. Because, you know, that's what he's addressing here that's going on in their lives. There's arrogance here. There's pride. And Jesus is not going to be able to use those. He will humble the proud and exalt the humble. Pride, I think Calvin said, is the pregnant mother of all sins. And from pride emanates all other kinds of sin issues in our lives. And so Jesus uses this little child, this just just gentle, you know, just have to picture this scene of just some gentle, some just tender, some innocent child here just standing there as this visual illustration. Jesus says, if you, re- if you really want to become great, you're going to have to become least like a little child. And he challenges them. Well, right after that, okay, there's a disconnect 
Because instead of responding and saying, well, you know, you got us on that. Instead, verse 49, it gets richer here. Master said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus says, do not stop him for whoever is not against you is for you. So they're still, you know, they're not quite getting it here, are they? Because the message here is be humble, be least. And then John's like, Jesus, I got a question. Um, We saw a guy over here casting out demons, but he's not one of us. Isn't this just, are they totally out of character here? You know, I continue through the Gospels to hear, even though it isn't recorded, Jesus sighing, saying, oy vey. You know, because, because right after he does this, then they ask that kind of a question. Jesus says, don't stop him, okay? Don't stop him. You know, I know you didn't hear a thing I just said, but please, don't stop him, because whoever is not against us is for us, okay? He's doing a good thing. He's driving out demons. But listen to the exclusivity in the minds of the disciples here. He's not one of us. He's not a part of Cornerstone. He's not one of us. He's not a Methodist. He's not one of us. He's not Baptist. He's not one of us. And there's a danger. There's a danger in becoming exclusive in our thinking and exclusive in our relationship. Having said that, I am aware that there's some churches with some weird doctrines and we don't always, you know, fellowship with with every single uh, group that's out there. But we have to guard against the exclusivity of feeling like in any circle of Christianity, that feeling like, you know, we, we have the inside thing here, and we have the inside track on God, and, you know, we, we're that special group. No, 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 no. You know, listen, Jesus is challenging his own disciples here. Whoever is not against us is for us. Paul would talk in Philippians 1 about, you know, the challenge of, of, in his day, ministries that were opposing him, yet they were doing some good things for the kingdom. And in Philippians 1.15, Paul would write, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And then he adds, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. That's very challenging. Because Paul is saying that, listen, there's going to be some... Pastors, there's going to be some churches that do what they do purely out of rivalry or selfish ambition or notoriety or whatever the cause may be. But as long as they're preaching Christ, Paul says, I rejoice that the gospel is going out, whether good motives are wrong, God's going to sort all that out. But let's not get this exclusive mentality because Jesus says, whoever is not against us is for us. Well, it gets worse. Verse 51 As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, in other words, you know, his imminent crucifixion and burial and resurrection here is impending here. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. If you have a King James Bible, it says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. And it literally, in the original language, means he had this this fierce determination. Jesus knew that the cross was before him. He knew that it would involve suffering. He knew the humiliation. He understood what what awaited him in Jerusalem. But he set his face. He was determined to go forward and to fulfill the will of the Father out of his love for a lost world. So he's determined here to set up for Jerusalem. And verse 52, And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, pause there. Let me explain. There's, there's great prejudice between Jews and Samaritans and Samaritans and Jews. And the reason is because historically, when you look back 
at uh, where all the fighting began. It basically was the result of when the Assyrian Empire came in the 700s BC, besieged Jerusalem. The Assyrians did something where they would repatriotize a nation. In other words, when, when the Assyrians took over a nation, they would take some people captive back to Assyria, but then they would also bring in Assyrians to patriotize the new land that they had conquered. And the Assyrians then came, and as part of what they did, they took some Jews captive, but then they brought Assyrians in, and some of the Assyrians intermarried with some of the Jews. And the result of that intermarriage were the Samaritans. Now, the Jews, in in their prejudice towards the Samaritans, saw them, and I'm going to use a derogatory term, but this is how they saw them, as half-breeds. They saw them as not really belonging to us. You're not fully Jewish because you've intermarried and intermingled with the Assyrians, a pagan people. And so the Samaritans then were an exclusive group of people who embraced part of Scripture. They believed the first five books of the Old Testament, but they didn't embrace all of it. They had a disagreement about where the right place was to worship. Remember the story of the woman at the well, Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans believed was the place to worship, and Jerusalem, the Jews believed was the place to worship. And so there was this animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Well, if you were living in the Galilee region up to the north in Israel, and you have to go south to Jerusalem, The easiest route was to pass through Samaritan territory to get to Jerusalem. That's the quickest route, instead of going all the way around to to get into Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples are making the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. They say up to because it's a high holy place, even though you're going north to south. And they want to pass through Samaria, and so Jesus sends messengers ahead. Can we pass through? Samaritans are, no. You're going up to Jerusalem, you're those Jewish people, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And the disciples hear this, okay, and so read on now. So verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Classic. Jesus They won't give us lodging. How about we pray down fire from heaven and smoke them like a piece of toast? How about that? Let's just watch them smoke. No, Jesus says. No, no. Again, I'm just envisioning a little whisper prayer under his breath. Jesus is like, Father, are there anybody else here that you can send my way? These 12 numbskulls here, they are not getting it. It's amazing we're here tonight. I'm serious. They they would have just been killing everybody. Now, remember, again, the beginning of chapter 9, the Lord had given them power and authority. So, you know, they're probably, they're thinking Elijah. They're thinking Elijah praying down fire. They're thinking Elijah power. We just want to use a little power here. Come on, just let us use a little and smoke these people. And Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, A man said to him, now notice this, there's going to be three men here in three different conversations with Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
If you've ever read this story before in these conversations, you've probably thought to yourself, sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, for Jesus to be talking like this, I mean, I think these sound like good-willed people who want to follow him, and they just, all they want to do, you know, the one guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go. The other guy says, well, let me just go back and bury my father first. And the other guy says, let me just first say goodbye to my family. And every single time, Jesus kind of comes back with a sharp response here. Now, in order to understand these three conversations, first thing we have to get is Jesus knows their hearts. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website, Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection.